0: Here we go.
1: Brothers, sisters, siblings, welcome to Penn's Sunday School starring Penn Gillette. My name is Michael Trudeau. Penn, Matt, Randy, Rich, and I are broadcasting from our own homes here in Las Vegas. On today's show, we'll be talking about Penn's article in the New York Times about Bob Saget and his type of comedy. It'll be great. Here he is preaching love, Mr. Penn
2: Gillette.
0: Yeah. uh and love. And I want to talk a lot about Saget. And I'm also going to talk a lot about uh, how the New York Times puts an article together. You know, you read those little op-eds and you feel like a person just sent in their thoughts, you know. Mm-hmm. We welcome all points of view, right? <laughs> That's what it says at the bottom. We want to, Everybody gets their point of view. We want to hear what people have to say. So I always picture, even though I'm a grown-up in show business, I picture that a person just got an idea and sent it to the New York Times and they went, oh, that seems good. Let's put that in. And I just want to disabuse anyone who has that thought. But uh, first, let's do a little health roll call. Ready, Rich, still healthy and negative?
2: Still healthy. And negative. And negative.
0: <laughs> Michael Goodot, still healthy and negative? I-, I thought he was going all Aaron
3: Rodgers on us.
1: <laughs> yeah i'm not telling you whether i'm negative or not
3: that's none of your business
1: um yeah still healthy uh coughing mostly well <laughs> and still testing negative still testing negative somehow and matt donnelly
3: is it possible that it was like typhoid mary like he's just yeah. carrying it <laughs>
1: just a carrier yeah
3: i tested negative yesterday on the same at-home tests i've been taking the whole time it's a little sinus y situation thing but uh overall fine feeling good
0: you know uh I uh, tested negative, and we went back to doing shows, and then we had to go to L.A. for some big fancy-ass meeting Glenn wanted us to do. We're going to drive in and everything, you know. Big, important meeting.
3: Are you guys selling your entire collection like Dylan and Springsteen?
0: Yeah. <laughs> Turns out that entire collection is is almost $100, so we're doing all right. <laughs> it was so important we are going to drive in for it, but it's also so important that the... People with whom we were meeting wanted to test. So we did, what is it called, the the PCP? PCR. (laughs) PCR. The crack pipe test? Yeah. (laughs) PCP is,
1: Well, PCP is not (laughs) crack. PCP is a different. Different smoking drug. So a
2: very
0: attractive uh, blonde woman came up and stuck things in my nose. She's very pleasant. She's the most pleasant tester ever. (laughs) It was just a formality, right? Because I'd already tested negative. I was already doing shows. And Glenn called me the next day and said, uh, you've tested positive. So we canceled uh, L.A. I-, I don't mean the whole city. We're just not going there. Few, But really, no one from L.A. can really say anything on Twitter anymore. <laughs> <laughs> we canceled. We're going to do this special show for the Society of American Magicians on Monday. Good to do a nice like 45-minute show and then have a 45-minute Q&A with magicians in the afternoon. It's going to be really, really wonderful. Canceled. And then um, we canceled the shows for Saturday and Sunday, last night and tonight. Oh, wow. So um, uh, we are down like a clown. Just like that, plug gets pulled. And uh, it's a shame because uh, Thursday night and Friday night were really hard shows, crazy hard, because I was coughing a lot. I still had that symptom, although I don't think it was related to COVID, but I don't know. And they put me on this, uh, this drug. I'm going to look it up right now. You see if you guys uh, know this drug. Well, Godot
3: doesn't know the difference between PCP and crack. So I don't think he'll no. know.
0: <laughs> you guys know gabapentin?
1: Oh, yeah. Gabapentin. Everyone on Earth is taking gabapentin today. I'm going to tell you, every single person. Mm-hmm. My, my mother was taking it. My wife is taking it. My mother-in-law is taking it. Yesterday... My dog was diagnosed with cancer and going to die in the next two days, and the dog was given gabapentin. Oh my gosh! Everyone's been given ga- gabapentin. Is like, I think gabapentin and prednisone are the only two drugs that work.
3: Sorry <laughs> on as, far as uh, I can tell. Now is this like ivermectin, and this is four dogs that <laughs> people are taking it? No, or? it's a pain. It's a pain med.
0: No, it's not. Gabapentin isn't a pain med. <laughs> yeah, 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 kind of is. <laughs> really? Yeah. When I read the um, when I read the stuff uh, from the uh, medical book. It did not say pain. Med.
1: Yeah, well, that's that's my wife's taking it for her shingles pain.
0: Uh, yeah, it says for shingles, but it's not because it's for pain.
1: My mom was taking it for her leg cramps.
0: Yeah, no, uh, but those are all different things in pain to do.
1: Those are except that they're all surrounding by pain. And the dog, I don't know.
0: Right, the but dog it, would get it, you it, fed, It's but- not. It's not a. Uh, it's it, it's a. Uh, it's it's a neuro blocker. Uh, mm. for and those things you just described are all it's also for coughs and for epilepsy. Huh. But it's not a, it, doesn't direct, it doesn't it doesn't won't stop regular pain stuff. It doesn't stop like headaches okay. and okay. joint pain. It only stops the stuff that's caused by a, a neurological thing. Okay. Let's have the dog on
3: and talk about it.
0: It also <laughs> makes you wicked crazy sleepy. <laughs> wicked crazy sleepy. Yeah. I was sleeping like ten hours. I was become Godot is what I did uh sleeping like 10 hours and waking up a little groggy and then it says all over the, the 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 pill bottle it says pen don't put codeine on top of this yeah so when it was time to go into the show i put codeine on top of it <laughs> and motherfucker <laughs> that were <Lord> kidding <laughs> they were not kidding I was still coughing. That's how bad my cough was. Jeez. But I was also, uh, I was as high as Green Day, you know? I mean, <laughs> like Keith Richards doing the Penn and Teller show. And um, <laughs> it was really hard to stay focused. There are a few moments in the show where <laughs> I just kind of did that.
3: I saw you know? a five-star Yelp review that said, I-, I can't believe Penn, Penn and Teller in slow motion is so fun to watch. Yeah,
0: exactly. <laughs> and Teller said, uh, after the show, as he usually says, well, those kind of drugs are really good for jazz, for comedy. <laughs> and then the next night, I started to uh, uh, acclimate to it. So it was more of an aggressive show. And that was the show that Wes Eisley saw and I was so nervous about because we were doing Wes Eisley's trick and Wes Eisley was in the audience. And I really wanted to do a good job. And I did. did a very good job. Oh good. That was good. But now I'm on the uh gab ga- what is it gabapentin? Gabapentin. Gabapentin and uh I am uh a little tired but not uh but without the codeine, it's much better.
1: Yeah. My wife takes a handful every night. Every night and still has breakthrough shingles pain two years after having shingles. If you haven't got a shingles shot by the folks, <laughs> you might want to go out and get that vaccine. Let's recommend that vaccine. Yeah. Yeah.
3: I'm seeing a lot of signage for it at uh, supermarkets and stuff. They're really pushing it. Good.
0: I'm on a very, very low, low dose of compentin. The
3: dog's getting 100 milligrams.
0: <laughs> yeah. I'm on 200 milligrams. Yeah. But people do like 4,800.
1: Yeah, my wife does 900. Yeah.
0: So I'm on, that, uh, I'm on that drug and I'm back. And you know, when Charlie Watts died, I found it troublesome in a different way because Charlie Watts did not die particularly young. And there's someone who's a young rock and roller who's now appropriately dead. You know, oh, John man, Lennon yeah. was shot. George Harrison had cancer. Obviously, Jim Morrison, Janis Joplin, etc. cetera, John Prine. But Charlie Watts was just like the right age to die. And that means I'm knocking on it, you know? Right. And then... uh It was amazing because I was in isolation with COVID. And so I was in my room and no one came in here and the door never opens. And, you know, I get my meals fed through a little slot I'm Pappy on. (laughs) And the door opened
2: and Emily said, "Um, Saget died. Close the door. What? What? And then she says from outside the door, Saget died. What? 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 And instantly the phone rang. And it was Gilbert. And Gilbert said, Saget died. And I said, what?
0: He said, Saget died. Jeff Ross is on the way over to Kelly's, This is Sagitt's wife, on his way over to Kelly's because Sagitt died. I said, what are you talking about? And I did a search for Bob Saget dead. And nothing came up. And then in a really spooky thing that no one's been able to explain to me, and it's now down, there was a very, very unreliable site. I forgot the name of the site, but it's a site that does nothing but hoaxes. And it said with this headline, Bob Saget killed by internet hoax. And it said, all day... Uh, everybody was saying Bob Saget was dead, and it turned out he wasn't, and then he was because of all this, right? But they were referring to chatter that didn't exist. Nobody was saying he was dead. There was no mention of it. And they were saying it was a hoax. It was also dated the next day. So I said, there's a weird thing with a hoax that I can't understand, Gilbert. And Gilbert said, well, I think he's dead. And I said, how can it be Saget? And then, of course, because we're the kind of people we are and we'll address this more, I said to Gilbert, the call's supposed to come that you're dead. We expect you to be dead, Gilbert. We expect (laughs) you to be dead any moment. And, And Gilbert went, yeah. People call up and say, you know, Gilbert's alive. And you go, I'm so shocked. I didn't expect it. What's he doing alive? How did that happen? And I went, yeah. So Gilbert and I made jokes about how Saget was not on the list to be dead and Gilbert was the top of the list. And that I had steeled myself for a phone call that said Gilbert's dead. And my answer would be, well, about time. <laughs> but, but what about Saget? So I went and looked at that hoax thing over and over again and said, what are the chances that someone does a hoax about him being dead when he's really dead? I, it makes no sense. And I looked at that and I, I wrote to Prevenz. And said, you know, is Saget dead? And Prevenza, of course, flipped out. Then I showed Prevenza that. And he went, so Prevenza and I both texted Bob Saget, are you dead? Right? Yeah. We figured, we texted Bob Saget, are you dead? And we get an answer back instantly that said yes. Uh, You know, know, a piano fell on me or something. And there was no answer from Saget for either of us. And then uh, Gilbert called again. And I said, I think it's a hoax. And Gilbert said, Yeah, I called Jeff Ross and he's pulling in to Bob Saget's house. And he did not find it from the internet. He found it when Bob Saget's wife called him. And I went, Geez, it's hard to make that a hoax, isn't it? Uh. And Gilbert said, Yeah. And then um, I was typing in all the time. And after an hour, an hour and a half, TMZ hit it. And then once TMZ hit it, I said, well, you know, it still could be, <laughs> you know, a drowning man will grab a snake. They, they could be wrong, you know. Like, so now I'm saying TMZ is wrong, Saget's wife is wrong. That's what I'm holding on to now. <laughs> and then it hit everywhere. Yeah. I mean, within... Within 30 seconds of TMZ, it was, it was everywhere. And, of course, all quoting TMZ.
2: Well, to be fair, it's more than just the snake.
0: Yeah. There was, there was the Tanya Roberts
3: thing a couple yeah. years ago. Yeah. Where the, where the husband's at the hospital and he thinks she's dead.
2: Right. Yeah.
3: And reports on it and then finds out on the air that she's
0: alive,
2: or she's still alive at that moment.
0: Oh, that's the thing Prevenza said. And this is kind of haunting. Provenza said... Um, he, he just did a show last night, man, did a show last night, did like two hours and, you know, standing ovation. People loved him. He was just on stage last night, man. He is not fucking
3: dead. And his tweet was like, I, I fell back in love. I stand up. Can't wait to do this again. You know, it was heartbreaking.
0: Now the Charlie watch thing is even weirder because, um, Saget is a year younger than me. Right. And uh, he'd also not drugs, not some long disease, uh, just dead. Alive, 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 dead. know, you know, in a
2: hotel room where I have stayed uh, when I was doing shows, probably at the same theater, dead.
0: <sighs> and it was weird because when I found out Nez was dead and Lou Reed was dead, and so many of my friends that have died, Randy, and the people I kind of half expected, it was like my, my body was ready to grieve. You know, when, uh, when uh, Christian Nesbeth wrote to me and said that his dad was dead, instantly my body knew what to do, right? Yeah. When uh, Davey called me and said that Randy was dead, my body knew what to do. It just knew what to do. When, uh, when I found out that Lou had died, my body knew what to do. With Johnny Thompson, my body knew what to do. You know, complete collapse, falling to pieces. Johnny Thompson. With Saget, my body had no idea what to do. My body didn't know how to cry. My body didn't know how to grieve. My body didn't
2: know how to fall down. My body just knew how to sit there and go, Saget? Saget? You know. And uh, the next day, they wanted me to be interviewed on an NPR,
0: and uh, this local ABC affiliate and a few other things, Vulture, wanted to interview me. And it was really kind of funny. We'll get into this with the New York Times article. <laughs> so, this woman, you know, very attractive, very proper, every hair in place, very good looking, good speaker, everything right, does this interview about. Sagitt with all the right words, right? You know, sorry for your loss, and he was a friend of yours and he was in the aristocrats, you know, and I tried to tell her the level of friend I was, which I always like to make clear. I don't know why, but I mean Jeffrey Ross was a closer friend of Sagitt than I am, you know. Yeah. I would see Sagitt once a year, and we'd have emails four times a year. That level of friend, you know, and we'd gone out to dinner, you know, ten times. Right, But I'm not his closest friend, right? And I'm very aware of that because when Warhol died, Debbie Harry was like Warhol's closest friend. She did no interviews. None. Right. And when I watched the coverage of Warhol dying, and because I was around Debbie, I was around Warhol, nobody that I saw hanging out with Warhol was being interviewed. You know, it wasn't the close friends. And when Kurt Cobain died, Kurt Cobain's closest friend was Bobcat Goldthwaite. His closest friend, Bobcat Goldthwaite. No interviews, nothing, no mention of Bobcat Goldthwait. Anybody. So I often wonder when somebody dies, who is the level of friend that does the interview? I mean, if I drop dead tomorrow, do you guys do the interview or is it Carrot Top? <laughs>
3: Uh does one rule out the other, or
0: <laughs> you, you know what I mean?: Yeah.
3: yeah. I mean, I certainly <laughs> I, I anticipate being indisposed for a little bit. I don't imagine <laughs> I don't imagine I can answer a lot of phone calls right away. <laughs> so that was kind of
0: my point. Yeah. So uh, this and I want to stress how proper this woman was. She was, you know, standard uh, TV person very, very skilled. She was about uh, you know, maybe in her twenties, obviously had gone to journalism school. She's doing a Zoom interview with me, and yet her hair's perfect, the background is blurred perfectly. Everything's really, really nice. And she does this really nice interview and then says, with a cute little giggle, she says, everybody talks about how uh, how dirty he was as a comic and no one will tell me like an example of what he would say <laughs> i said well you know they're 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 they're, they're playing they're they're playing the room I mean, perhaps you don't want to know cuz saget would do this stuff she said no no i'd really like to know and i said well if you'd really like to know i can give you a bunch of examples But um, it may be a little startling. And she said, I'm going to turn off record on this. Oh. I said, okay. I said, uh, I will tell you a little bit about what he said. Because, you know, he fucked his daughters all the time. I shouldn't have even told you that. I mean, that's not even part (laughs) of it. But only in the ass, because her pussy was for her husband. But anyway, uh, (laughs) and she was like, what would you just say? I'm, I'm trying to tell you about Saget a little bit. Let me tell you this story. I said when Saget's daughter was born, it was a very difficult birth, and the doctors thought they might lose Saget's wife and his daughter during the childbirth. So Saget was, I've told the story on the uh, on this show before. I'm going to tell it again because I want you to hear it as though the newscaster's hearing it, right? It was very difficult, and Saget had been at the hospital for days and hadn't slept and hadn't showered and hadn't eaten. And he was uh, feeling he was going to lose his wife and his daughter. And uh, the cord was wrapped. I don't know what it was. I don't know the OBGYN of it. But um, Prevents found out that Saget was in distress, and it was a very, very serious situation, although Saget hadn't told me. And Prevenz drove over to the hospital. And the timing was such that Prevenz got there right when Saget had found out everything was okay which is the most important part of the story. Saget found out that his wife was going to be okay and his daughter was going to be okay. So this vigil, this suffering, was over for Saget. And Prevenz walked in the room and Saget was holding his baby daughter, who was healthy and okay, and his wife was in the other room, healthy and okay. And Prevenz said Saget looked destroyed, unshaven, exhausted, had been crying for two days,
2: completely beaten. And Bravenz walked over as a friend, didn't know what to say, and said, my God, Bob, she's, she's beautiful. And Bob went,
0: uh, for $5, you can finger her. <laughs> first thing he said,
2: first thing he said. And this newscaster, who was all perfect and prim and proper, went, oh, my my God. (laughs) And I said,
0: well, then I had him on my podcast, and I told that story with Bob there. And Bob said, that's absolute bullshit. Bullshit. It was $10. She's not a fucking crack whore. (laughs) <laughs> um, and I'm not sure any of that is correct. The numbers might be different. I might been ten dollars and twenty.
2: Yeah, twenty. Yeah, yeah. And she went, uh, "Oh, oh, uh, oh." She put it back on
0: record <laughs> and went, uh, "Yes, Bob uh, Saget did some very intense comedy." <laughs> but she said it with a uh, with a knowing. With a knowing sense then, you know. Uh, <laughs> yeah. History has been rewritten about Bob Saget because uh, with the exception of S.E. Cup, you know our good friend S.E. Cup? S.E. Cup wrote an article that said all the comics knew that Bob Saget was dirty, but he wasn't known publicly to work in transgressive comedy until the aristocrats came out. All the other articles are saying everybody knew from the very beginning that Bob Saget worked filthy, and yeah. that kind of changes the Aristocrats story because when he did the Aristocrats, it was a big deal for him. I was right in the pocket for that.
3: I, I grew up with you know the the um, TGIF sitcoms and watching Full House and knew, knowing Bob Saget only as a TV dad. Finding out he was a stand-up was interesting to me, and then seeing the Aristocrats in New York. Uh, and seeing the Saget thing happen was like, I he- heard rumors that he's a dirty comic. Seeing him in action was like, oh my gosh. And it was crazy to watch a TV dad be that filthy. Turns out <laughs> the level of filth with TV dads, uh, he was setting a very low bar. Uh, <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, yeah. He was the filthy talking. <laughs> yeah. TV dad. He was not the filthy acting TV dad. <laughs> he was one of the cleanest <laughs> TV dads around. Well, that was my whole point, you know, that uh, Bob was uh, completely moral and kind and all those things. Yeah. So, uh, I did a few of those interviews, and then the the New York Times got in touch with me and said, do you want to um, talk to us about writing something about Bob Saget? We don't want it to be about Bob Saget. We want it to be deeper and richer and about comedy in general. And I said, because I still didn't know how to process the Bob Saget thing, I said, um, Yeah, I'll write that. And um had me call Susanna at the uh, New York Times. And I was coughing horribly. And my body was learning how to process the Saget thing. So I was crying and coughing. There was a lot going on with my head. And I talked to her and she said, those are good angles. That's a good angle. Hit that. And then I said, um, I can tell you a story that we can never use in the newspaper. And she said, there's nothing I hate more than hearing stories I can't print. <laughs> and I said, well, I will tell you this story. She said, maybe I can find a way I can, we can print it. I said, okay, let me tell it to you. So I told her the story and she said, wow. That's a story we can't print. (laughs) So when the New York Times says in its masthead all the news that's fit to print, you can say, what do they mean? And the answer is they mean Bob Saget's birth of his daughter story will not be in the paper. (laughs) So then I did, I'd written a few things for the Times before. I know that the Times does heavy, heavy editing, heavy editing. And that they really go over every word with you. And I also know, you know, kill your darlings is the rule in writing. It's very, very important. And if I work too hard in an article, I get attached to every word of it. Right. Because I've gone through it. And then if I give it to Robbie and he does a run through on it, it's very precious to me. Very precious. So I did this idea with the New York Times and ended up being very, very smart, I thought. I wrote it in a very short period of time, five hours, I wrote it. And I said, I'm sending this to you as a rough draft. Get all your comments. I'm going to let you edit it. It It's very smart. Because then she came back with a lot of edits, and I hadn't worked hard enough to be attached. Oh, interesting. So it's really nice. I was very easy to work with. And I don't mean, I, I tried to always be easy to work with, but I mean, I was easy for myself to work with. Usually I rant and rave myself yeah. <laughs> and put a polite front up. But this, I didn't even do that. I just went, oh yeah, good, okay. I see, oh yeah, I see what they're doing. Oh yeah, good. So I want to, just for your um, edification, I was going to read you my draft and when we end, where we ended up. Now, I want your advice on this as a learning exercise. What order should I do that? Should I read the finished first or the first one first? chronological or from better to worse?
1: This is the Star Wars question, right? Yeah.
0: <laughs> what do you guys think? I'd like to do the,
1: uh, the New York Times version first.
0: Okay. I think. That's what I'll do then. This is the finished version as it appeared in the New York Times. Guest essay, The Sublime Beauty of Bob Saget's Filthy Comedy by Penn Jillette. Mr. Gillette is a magician and comedian. He produced the 2005 documentary, The Aristocrats. My children are teenagers, aged 15 and 16, and they know the comic Bob Saget was my friend. They know he died earlier this week and that I'm grieving. They want to comfort me. When they saw clips of Bob on the internet making hardcore jokes about pedophilia and incest, they were offended. They thought my friend must have been a bad person and it was hard for them to understand how I could have loved him. I don't know if I could blame them. How could they understand that doing transgressive comedy was, in Bob's hands, not about hate and pain, but rather a daredevil act of mutual trust? We now consume much of our art in bite-sized hunks, sometimes just seconds of video stripped of context. The message without the messenger. When my children watched little snippets of Bob and read some quotes, they couldn't know that Bob Saget didn't do transgressive comedy to be mean. He didn't even do it to shock. He did it to make people laugh, to test himself, to let the audience test him, and to form a connection with them. He had a big smile and joy for the world in Full House, and on America's Funniest Home Videos, everyone loved and trusted Bob in those roles. You wanted to hug him. Some people are saying now that the real Bob was very different from that good guy image, but I disagree. Offstage, he was loving, kind, open, funny, a great friend, and a great father. He also told filthy, disgusting, offensive jokes. What Bob Saget practiced was emotional stage diving. He would fall face first into the audience's arms. If the audience didn't trust him enough to catch him with their laughs, it would be worse than smashing onto a concrete floor. The beat poet Allen Ginsberg understood that this kind of gamble was intrinsic to great art. He is said to have said, the poet always stands naked before the world. I think there's more to it. The artist must bravely say, I'm going to show the world who I am, and I trust that someone will understand. Real art, beautiful art, is always a scary act of trust. We look to art to see another person's heart. That human connection is all that matters. For me, it's a reason to live. I first got to know Bob when we were shooting The Aristocrats, an arty documentary from 2005. We recorded comics telling the filthiest version they could of an inside comedy joke. It was a joke that comics loved. Johnny Carson was a big fan, but was never told to the public. It was meant for other comedians, siblings, who understood the fun challenge of pushing boundaries while keeping trust. We recorded Bob backstage at a comedy club right before he went on for his set. The director, Paul Provenza, and I had told Bob we were comparing comedy improvisation with jazz improvisation. We hear musicians improvise solos over the same chord changes, and we wanted to watch comedians improvise over the same joke. We were shooting with home equipment and didn't know if the movie would ever come out for the public. We thought it might just be a document for the 100-plus people who were in it. Before we started rolling, Bob said, who do I have to beat? He meant who had been the most outrageous so far, George, Robin, he asked. We said yes, George Carlin and Robin Williams had taken it pretty far out, but the ones he should be gunning for were Gilbert Gottfried and Carrie Fisher. Bob said okay. He inhaled a deep breath and took off. Oh my goodness gracious, there wasn't a taboo that Bob didn't roll around it. His storytelling was so skilled and brilliant, his timing impeccable. He even threw in a Three Stooges impersonation. The images he put in our minds were as shocking as anything I had ever imagined. Time froze. He went on forever. Every few minutes he'd start giggling, ask what he was doing, and drop his head. Then he'd pop up with that beautiful honest smile and go deeper. The biggest expense in turning our home movie into a feature film was filtering out by constant, loud, cackling laugh. Bob was as naked and vulnerable as any artist I've ever seen. He stripped down. He showed us his inside. His comedy proved his nice guy image. Bob said the most offensive things anyone had ever heard, and we loved him not despite it, but because of it. That kind of artist has become rarer, and some say with good reason. I don't know. I still trust comics, but... The jokes, memes, and comments of internet trolls are different. Trolls don't seek to demonstrate and celebrate trust. They strive to destroy it. The troll does not want to use offense as a tool to get to shared humanity. There is no bravery. I've heard some thoughtful arguments against the transgressive comedy that I love. One problem is often the same groups of people who've been asked to take the joke. I never heard Bob insult people who are marginalized, but other comedians do. And I don't think that's really fair. Even if everyone is equally fair game for comedy, our culture makes these jokes land unevenly. I see that. I don't have the right to say to someone else, it's a joke. Get over it. I want to teach my children what was beautiful about Bob Saget, but I also want to learn from them. Maybe trust and kindness are getting a little too scarce. We might need more unnuanced, unartistic, simple respect. I'm happy my children care so much about how we treat one another, but I hope their generation, which is pushing to have speech be more careful, can understand that artists like Bob were never trading in hate. They loved the world, and I loved him. Mr. Gillette is the magician and comedian. He produced the 2005 documentary The Aristocrats, as one half of the magic act Penn & Teller he performs in Las Vegas, and hosts Penn & Teller Fool Us on TV. The Times is committed to publishing a diversity of letters to the editor. Would like to hear what you think about this or any other articles? Here are some tips, and here's our email letters at New York Times. So that's what it ended up. They did a really good job helping me do that right.
3: Well, it's really well written. The kernel of truth that comes out of here real art, beautiful art is always a scary act of trust. We look to art to see another person's heart. The human connection is all that matters. And for me, uh, it's a reason to live, just really close to you going, it's a living. <laughs> but that that quote really hit home to me. And I think like your distinction you make in this article is the first I've seen where you articulate the difference between a comedian who loves what they do versus an internet troll. And it's the first time someone's really, for me, uh, struck the chord properly at our recent propensity to never, never assess intention with comedy anymore. But to draw the difference between those two things, I think is so important.
1: I, I think bringing your children in is is the most valuable thing for it.
0: It's also true.
1: No, I understand. I understand that it's true. And, and, I, and I would love to hear their exact comments on that. And I hope that they're in this next version that we'll read because that's really important. It's important for us to learn that as old guys. And it's important for them to see that us old guys weren't monsters. Uh, you know what I mean? Those are
0: Yeah, well, you know, I didn't talk too much about it. It's not really my right. But Mox saw uh, there was a scene that used a baby in one of the full houses, and they didn't have a baby. They had a doll that they used. Right. And when Saget was on set with the doll, Saget did incredibly inappropriate things. And Mox's comment was, if you do that as a joke, you do it for real. And I very much wanted to disabuse Mox of that. Right. But I'll start going through, and I'm not going to read this all the way through. I'll start going through and talk about the discussions you have with the New York Times.
1: That's unfortunate because I was hoping to put one version in the left channel and one version in the right channel
2: <laughs> for the final <fun laughs> <minutes. laughs>
0: What they really do is they ask incredibly hard questions. And they move stuff around. And then they take out stuff that you love because you can't prove it. So here's the very first version. Being offensive used to be beautiful. Allen Ginsberg said, the poet always stands naked before the world. All I want out of art is to see someone naked. We want to see another person's heart. Real art, beautiful art, needs to be a daredevil act of trust. I'm going to show the world who I am, and I trust that somebody will understand. Well, the New York Times couldn't find Allen Ginsberg actually saying that in his own writing. Oh, okay. They could only find <laughs> people saying that Allen Ginsberg said that. So, uh, that's why it is said to be said.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Also, they thought that my quote, I'm going to show the world who I am and trust that somebody will understand, read is an Allen Ginsberg quote. And they thought that was wrong, so I had to do all that convoluted stuff. They also thought that leading with this was not good. Then it goes on. Bob Saget had more trust in other people than anyone I ever met. Bob Saget on mainstream TV was a lovable dab with a big smile and joy for the world. Everyone loved and trusted Bob Saget in those roles. He was a good guy at Full House on America's Funniest Home Videos. You wanted to hug him. Some people are saying that Bob was different from that good guy image when he was off camera, and I disagree. Off stage, he was loving, kind, open, funny, a great friend, and a great father. He also told filthy, disgusting, offensive jokes. And the reason he told those jokes, and the reason those jokes were so funny when he told them, was that Bob's heart was pure. Bob could stand naked on stage and trust you to trust him. Saget's stand-up act proved his nice guy image. Bob said the most offensive things I've ever heard, and people loved him not despite it, but because of it. And Bob never attacked anyone. Bob wasn't mean. He was offensive. Okay. So you see how that got distributed over the whole article. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I first got to know Bob. We were shooting The Aristocrats, an arty movie from 2005. We recorded comics telling the filthiest version of an inside joke, a joke that Jack Benny. George Burns and Johnny Carson loved, but was never told in public. They said, how do you know Jack Benny and George Burns loved it? I said, Gary Owens told me. They said, who's Gary Owens? (laughs) I said, Gary Owens was a comic on laughing. They said, where did he tell you that? I said at the opening of the aristocrats. And I almost beat the shit out of him because he didn't tell me on camera. They said, well, we don't take second-hand sources at the New York Times. I said, well, tell that to Hillary Clinton. Um, <laughs> so they said, how do you know Johnny Carson? I said, he wrote me emails. We talked on the phone. They said, that's a first-hand choice. You can have Car- Carson. You can't have George Burns and Jack Benny. We recorded mm-hmm. Saget backstage. This is exactly the same, except there one line they cut out, it's the singer, not the song, which bothered me. Yeah, The joke we chose was a joke where the idea was to be so transgressive the joke was only for other comedians, siblings that understood the challenge of pushing the boundaries while keeping trust. We were shooting with home equipment. Before we were rolling, Saget said, now this is all the same. Mm-hmm. Until we get down to the... Oh, they added the last names to George Carlin. I had George Robin. We said, yes, Carlin and Williams had taken it pretty far. They want to repeat it because they're afraid people don't know who George Carlin and Robin Williams are. Here's the part that really amazed me. The images he put in our minds were as shocking as anything I'd ever imagined. It was probably Sagitt who got our movie banned from AMC Theaters. (laughs) (laughs) Oh good joke. (laughs) They called the AMC Theaters. And AMC said, we did not ban it. We just thought it was a limited audience that we couldn't sell to. Uh, Liar, liar, pants on fire. (laughs) But there we go. He went on forever, more than an order of magnitude longer than we could ever use in the movie. Every few minutes, he'd stop to catch his breath, put his head down and giggle. What the fuck am I doing? Then go deeper. They had in Susanna's draft, what the F-dash-dash-dash am I doing? Their editorial board said they couldn't do that. Oh. Okay. Now, my children are 15 and 16 years old, and I don't know how they can understand the beauty of being offensive as an act of trust. We consume much of our art in different ways now. Much we consume is the message without the messenger. There is often no context and no nuance. There's disgusting offensive trolling, but I can't see any beauty there. Trolls don't show anyone their hearts. Trolls don't want to point out how much we can trust each other. The troll does not use offense as a tool to get to trust, love, and shared humanity. The goal of the troll ends in offense. It's mean-spirited. So you can see that's expanded quite a bit. Yeah, yeah. Don Rickles and Bob Saget were never mean-spirited. They were friends with each other, two of the nicest guys in the world, and two daredevils of comedy. They both did emotional stage diving. They said offensive things while handing out their hearts for examination. The audience would look, feel, listen to, taste, and smell their hearts. And if their hearts were pure, the audience would laugh. If their hearts weren't pure, well, we never found out. Their hearts were pure. Okay, so a lot more with Rickles there, Mm -hmm. a lot more and stuff. After the aristocrats, I had personally had my fill of that kind of transgressive humor. Times have changed. Now when I see some boundaries pushed, I just don't trust the people pushing them. With so many words and images carrying so much real hate and painful history, it takes more love than anyone. Even Saget Rickles had to make it okay. I understand now that it was always the same suffering people being forced to do the work of seeing into an artist's heart. If it's always the same people having to be tough and take it, that's not fair, that's not right, that's not kind. I get sad when people who are pure and loving and just trying to be funny are punished for things they said in good faith. But I also get sad when people are honestly hurt by jokes no matter how well-intentioned. Yeah. I get wicked sad, and I could sure use Saget and Rickles to cheer me up and help me see the good in people, but we now have to do it without them. Oh, wow.
3: That's a a darling,
0: for sure. I also said, in intermittent drafts, because I have a lot of drafts, (laughs) I got to tell you, there's there's eight drafts here. Uh, In one of the drafts, I get into Joan Rivers, uh-huh. I say I miss Joan Rivers very much, but they kept asking me really hard questions. They said, What do you mean you had your fill? Is Bob Saget's comedy no good now? And I went, That's not what I meant. And they said, Did it all end with Bob Saget? I mean, what about Dave Chappelle? Isn't he still doing this? And I went, Okay. And they said, What's your feeling about Dave Chappelle and how he is being treated? and what he's saying right now. And I said, okay, good. I will get into the Dave Chappelle issue and all the stuff on transgender. I'm perfectly willing to do all of that, but you need to give me the entire Monday issue of the Times. (laughs) (laughs) I said, if we say the name Dave Chappelle, I need another 20,000 words minimum. Yeah. And she said, I can understand that. And she said, but let's try to work around this kind of stuff. I said, well, some people in the aristocrats actually do racial and ethnic stuff. I said, it kind of doesn't. And she said, well, we can clear it with that. So you see how we're dancing to get that into, by the way, their maximum is 900 words. That article is 1,200. So (laughs) they already gave me a third longer than I could do. The original draft I turned in was 900 words. Okay. It felt
3: brief, not, not in a bad way. It just was like, oh, it was so succinct.
0: Yeah. Well, that's what they did. But it's yeah. really interesting. And I want to say, you might think this hunk was me saying, oh, here's what I wrote, and here's how the New York Times ruined it. And with the exception of George Burns and Jack Benny and AMC. I don't believe I have any problems with what they did. And I completely understand because um, Susanna said, I am so, so angry about losing AMC. I did not want to lose AMC and I fought it all the way. And the fact checkers said, we called them. <laughs> we checked at the time. Mm. Their press release at the time says, this is why we're doing it. And everything prevents and Penn say, is they banned us because Provenz and I went on the show and said, you know, they wouldn't let our movie be at AMC because they said it was too dirty. And um, we've just heard these reports. We can't prove them. We've heard these reports. We can't prove them that the popcorn at the AMC theaters is making people really sick and maybe killing them. But we can't prove this. <laughs> <laughs> They have a lot of footage of Prevents and I doing that. (laughs) And AMC saying, we won't address anything Prevents and Penn say, we just didn't think it had a big enough audience. And the New York (laughs) Times said, sorry. (laughs) And they would not take Gary Owens talking to me as a source for George Burns and Jack Benny.
1: the, the, The issue with that is, and I don't think this is a bad issue, is that this puts it more to you than you saying, historically, this is what has happened, and here are my examples. And your examples are very, very solid and very good and make the case in a different way.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, she wanted to keep George Burns and Jack Benny, absolutely. and they even wanted to cut Carson. Oh. Because, uh, you know, I don't have, I, I, you know, I, I said I can send you the emails. But I don't want to. I don't want to send my private emails to Johnny Carson. He did not expect the New York Times to look at those.
3: And what you just said brings up a point to the doll story from Full House, by the way. Mm-hmm. This idea that we score comedy the same all the time across the board is just a lie. It's a, we don't. We, we right. score comedians and comedy differently in the moment. We hold ourselves and each other to different standards all the time. And at the moment, Bob Saget was with a group of people that he spent 10 hours, 15-hour days with, you know, making television. And he was with a group of people that knew him and knew his heart. And he wanted to mess with people who were working long days with him. And he was not thinking, I hope this clip goes out to the world for millions of people to see. That was not his intention when he messed with the doll on set. I'm going to make the cameraman Um, laugh. Yeah.
0: And when when people take that stuff, I believe like a collage artist, okay? When Tony Fitzpatrick makes a collage and that collage is there and he's got little matchbook covers and he's got little things there or, you know, Jasper Johns or any of those people that do collages, we do not say, I am judging that matchbook cover. I am judging that little piece. We judge the whole work. So when someone takes a saggot quotation and puts it on their feed, what I would like to say is you're judged by that. Why did you choose to put that on your feed? Yeah. That's part of your collage. That's part of what you're saying. So are you taking that sagitt thing, putting it on your feed? Then I got to tell you something. You just said it, motherfucker. You just said it. Yeah. Because sagitt didn't say it here. You did. Right. Yeah.
3: That's important.
0: And, and
3: no one does that. No. You know, it reminds me of when uh, the uh, reporter in Vegas was upset with Piff firing Mr. Piffles out of a cannon.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: And says, that's, that's, that's violence against animal. I said, have you right. seen it? It's absolutely not violence against animal. <laughs>
0: yeah. It's not even that good a trick. It's not, yeah. It's not even... It, it's, <laughs> it, and
3: Piff has been hanging out to dry as a terrible trick for a long, long time.
2: Yeah, but I said... Uh, <laughs>
3: I said, if David Blaine took a real cannon and put an actual dog in the cannon and fired it, wouldn't you feel slightly differently than you do when you watch Piff do that trick?
2: <laughs> <laughs>
3: so you know there, there is a difference. There is a philosophical difference between actually firing a dog out of a cannon versus putting a... St- I'll, I'll burn it. Putting a stuffed animal into a cardboard tube <laughs> and then pulling out Mr. Piffles. You know, like it is... It's yeah. just... It, not a it, lot of people you know,
1: think that that was the dog shot out of a cannon.
3: You can say, I don't like it. I don't like that trick, or I don't even like that imagery. You can and say You must those, say you don't like that trick because it's a shitty trick. Right. That's, we need to be on the record of, for that as well. But you, know, like, you can say that you don't like Bob Saget. You can say that I don't like that doll clip at all. But you can't say it's the same as molesting a child. No, it's not. And it also- <laughs> Apparently you can say it. <laughs> well, I guess, I guess so. But I mean, like, we, you know, constantly taking anyone's offense and drawing it and redefining it to be the worst version of any offense is doing a huge disservice to people who actually suffer the actual worst offense.
0: I yeah. had a, uh, a discussion with um, someone who thinks that if you say the F word, uh, and that is not fuck. Right. But the modern F word, there is no context in which that's okay. And also, in cosplay, you can do an impersonation of Bruno, the Colombian character, yeah. in uh, in Canto. You can do cosplay of that, wearing the. It's not a poncho; it's called something else. But you can wear the poncho, and you can put in. Uh, uh, you can change your eye color, and you can put on. Uh, Gruff Beard to do the John Leguizamo character in Encanto. And on TikTok, many, 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 many people do that character and sing the songs and do all that. Cosplay is a big thing on uh, TikTok. So I said to one of these people, that's okay? And they said, yes, as long as you don't darken your skin, it's completely okay.
2: I said, hmm. Will it be in 20 years? Right. Because <laughs> the lines get drawn in different
0: places, and we get so, so smug about judging people in the past. You know? Yes. How could they have done this? You know, you go watch Laughin, and Laugh-In does blackface in nineteen seventy one. And they do not do it to be racist, but now it makes our skin crawl. Yeah. Do you want to be judged in thirty years, nope. everything you say? Where did we finish the question, Matt. Yeah, let me, not, me, nope. not even today. Yeah, no, yeah.
3: I don't want to <laughs> even talk about this tomorrow.
0: <laughs> We're going to talk more about this and about Bob Saget and how much we miss him. You know, my tweet about Bob Saget was really what I felt. I said, uh, "Fuck Bob Saget." Would have wanted me to tweet something really, really offensive and really, really funny. I can't do it. I'm just sad. Yeah. That was Penn Sunday School. That
2: was Penn Sunday School. Cha cha cha. And
0: to our ears, You become
2: naked.
0: You know, I say school. you become naked every time. It's from Revolution Number no. Nine with the Beatles. And it is exactly about that Saget thing. If you can get true, if you can get honest. That was you become naked. And I stood back there in a room upstairs in a comedy club holding a camera, or maybe I wasn't, I don't remember, and watching Bob Saget get naked. You got anybody to thank there, Matt Donnelly?
3: I do. I'd like to thank the five people who support us here on patreon.com slash pen. I've decided to say fuck you to Anders Stenson, Rachel Forrester, Jobeth R. Bowers, Adam Stinkney, Sex Guy Jimmy D., Henry James Allison, Nathan Julian, Percival, Manuel Videl Perez, De La Mesa V, Petty Officer Scoop, David K, David Peters, Shane Brevick, Blue Drinks Films, Brandon Knapp, Nick Dingman, Colin Durham, The Big Scuba Podcast, and Christine and Bobby Mack.
0: Okay.
2: Thank you. We love you. Oh fucks on the chat wanted to know if the site that constantly posts hoaxes is CNN. <laughs> <laughs>